listening to your rights at work here on wpfw 89.3 fm on your dial chris garlock and ed smith with you for the second half of the show right now republican politicians along with big tech big pharma and wall street are saying the inflation reduction act now under consideration in congress is anti-american manufacturing rubbish it's pro-american manufacturing you see, right now, big companies pay no taxes when they send American jobs overseas. Trump's tax bill made it easier for big companies to avoid paying taxes when they move jobs abroad. But the Inflation Reduction Act includes a minimum tax for all big corporations. That takes away their incentive to move jobs outside the United States, which makes the Inflation Reduction Act pro-American manufacturing. Now, big tech, big pharma, and Wall Street are against it because they would rather ship jobs abroad than pay the minimum tax. Don't buy it. Call your senator now and tell them to support the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 for American jobs and make companies pay their fair share of taxes. And that, of course, former Labor Secretary Robert Reich coming through all the uh, baloney and other things that we can't say here on the radio. You're listening <laughs> to Your Rights at Work with Chris and Ed. Here to break it down uh, and get behind the big lie, uh, our, our longtime friend, Damon Silvers, uh, senior advisor over at the AFL-CIO, visiting professor at University College London, and uh, sort of adding to our national show today, I think you're up in Maine, aren't you, Damon? Yeah, that's right, Chris. Um, although my background is pure Baltimore, I am I am uh, <laughs> on what I am on what passes for vacation in Maine. <laughs> I know, right? You and me both. I'm in Colorado. You're in Maine, but we're still working hard for the people. The task that you have before us is Rob Reich. I thought did a, did a great job of calling calling rubbish uh, on this, but uh, help us to understand what what the heck is going on here. Well, you, you know, Chris, it, it, you got to start with the fact that this extraordinary bill has been uh, agreed upon, uh, and, and Senator Manchin seems to actually be locked in. I, I you know, every day I, every day I have my, my, uh, you know, <laughs> every day I wake up, look, check out, like, where does it stand? It, but, it, but this bill, the fight, the, the, uh, the inflation, the anti-inflation bill, the fight inflation bill, it, it is an extraordinary piece of legislation. It, it invest hundreds of billions of dollars in jobs that will fight climate change. Uh, and it fixes our tax system uh, in ways that should have been fixed decades ago, that in ways that are good for workers. Uh, and the and so not surprisingly, uh, the people who are against our country moving forward are trying to fight this bill. And, and as usual, they're sort of telling lies that kind of turn the whole thing upside down. And so what 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 uh, Secretary Reich was talking about there is the minimum corporate tax part of the bill, which pays for the investments we need to make to fight climate change and to put people to work. Right? It's pretty much 
apples to apples, meaning that there's about that 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 corporate minimum tax is going to raise three hundred billion dollars, and that three hundred billion dollars is going to be invested in good jobs. A lot of most of the manufacturing and construction jobs to to re-engineer our economy to be low carbon and to fight climate change. There are nine million jobs in play here that will be funded by this minimum corporate tax. All right, now the big companies come along and say that's bad for manufacturing. Right? And what do I mean by that? Well, what they're trying to say is if you t is the opposite of the truth. We have had a tax system for decades that allows companies to move jobs offshore. And when they go offshore to, to countries where they don't pay any taxes, all right, and I can name some, Ireland, Netherlands, right? You, you, you go to Dublin, there's, you, you go to, and I got nothing against Ireland or anything, but if you go to Dublin, there are skyscraper after skyscraper uh, of American companies that have moved jobs there because they basically have no corporate taxes. So, so Damon, so, so I want to be clear. So, because I think yeah. this is confusing to folks. If I understand this correctly, what happens is I'm a, I'm an American company, you know, the, the garlic company, and I'm, right. I'm, I'm selling in America. I've got, and then what? But what I do is 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 that to get out of taxes, I open up, I guess, an office in one of those shiny buildings over in Dublin, which I've been to. Great place, by the way. Love it. Yeah. Uh, but by opening up that office somehow magically, because Ireland has a special no tax deal, then even though I'm still an American company, my taxes go away. I mean, That's exactly right. But this, it's not this, just offices. You see, if if you move a manufacturing plant overseas, you pay whatever taxes they pay over there, right? And uh -huh. all right, and you have tax free you have tax free manufacturing zones. In a bunch of low-wage countries that that have bad labor rights, you have tax-free manufacturing zones. So if you're a huge company and you can pay the lawyers and you have all that stuff, you move your your manufacturing overseas. You don't pay taxes. If you're a small and medium-sized company, you don't you don't even have that option. So the so small and medium-sized manufacturers are paying tax bills. So big companies like Amazon and Apple and Microsoft don't pay taxes. And also big manufacturing companies pay less taxes because they can move jobs offshore. You have this powerful incentive to take jobs out of the United States because you can, you can evade, evade your taxes by doing that. And you don't have, you can bring those profits back from offshore to the U.S. and not pay any taxes. That, talk about, you're, we're, we're basically telling people to move jobs offshore. Now, why does our tax system work that way? As Bob Rice said, it's worked that way some, in some ways for years, but Trump locked it in. Trump told all these lies about make America great again and bringing jobs back. And meanwhile, he made it totally easy to walk away, to, to move jobs offshore and evade taxes by doing that. When you create a corporate minimum tax, then no matter where your operations are, if you're a U.S. corporation, if you're headquartered in the United States, you fly the American flag over your headquarters. If you're an American company, then you got to pay that minimum tax. And then it doesn't make sense to run away from the United States for tax purposes. That's why this is so pro-manufacturing. This, this provision is pro-manufacturing in two ways. It funds a huge investment in infrastructure and manufacturing, millions of jobs. 
it takes away the incentive to move jobs offshore. It does both at the same time. And that, but that is not stopping Republicans, tech, pharma from running around saying this is bad for jobs. What it is, is it makes them play by the rules and they don't want to play by the rules. It's basically taxing the rich. Okay, I mean, let's not just put a finer point on it. Ed Smith, go ahead. Damon, uh, good to see you again. Um, so you mentioned uh, this will create 9 million, million jobs. When you, uh, that, that estimate, does that include um, an estimate of jobs that would move back as a result of the corporate nope. minimum tax? Or does nope. It that is just the investment side. That is just, that tax has got, those so tax dollars. That's gonna... amazing. So 9 million just in the, just in the, yeah. So you're going to see, you're going to see the 9 million. And then when, when, corporations realize that, that that their little game is over they're going to bring jobs back which will make additional jobs that's fascinating that's right right it's not, really it's nine million plus right? right it's nine million plus now unfortunately look the the labor movement wanted that number that 15 percent number to be higher right that that number should really be in the 20s but gonna, but you got to right. start someplace and 15 percent is a lot better than zero and, and companies like Amazon in recent years have paid zero. The companies that have exploited this loophole to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars are the companies that have the greatest ability to move stuff around globally. Tech, pharma, uh, Wall Street uh, are, the, are, are the, the, the really big players. But it's a factor in every decision that every manufacturer makes is, is like, what kind of tax deal can I get? Right? And you know, there are plenty of countries around the world prepared to offer the prepared to offer zero, right? In order to in order to, to get the jobs, and what that creates is a race to the bottom. In the end, what happens is is that not only do we not get the taxes and the jobs, but countries around but poorer countries around the world get played off against each other, uh, at, to to uh, and it destroys their tax base, their educational systems, their healthcare. This bill is actually part of a larger global effort to have a 15% minimum corporate tax worldwide. And if we pass it, other countries will move in line. In theory, everybody's committed to doing it. They all signed a treaty earlier this year where President Biden and, and Janet Yellen were big leaders in making this happen. But it's all talk until somebody actually does it. And the somebody who needs to do it is the United States. Everybody in the world is going to be better off as a result of this in terms of less tax evasion, more money for investment in fighting climate change, more money for education, more money for health care, not just in the United States, but everywhere in the world, and particularly in poorer countries. Let me reintroduce you. We're talking with Damon Silver, senior advisor at the AFL-CIO. He's visiting professor at University College London uh, and uh, frequent guest and sometime co-host here on Your Rights at Work on WPFW. Uh, Damon, talk some more about that, because that's when I heard the 15% minimum, I was like, wait a minute, I've heard about this before. And, and you know, it's kind of this ability of capital, you know, to flow around the world, uh, moving jobs, moving money in this, you know, big shell game where they just get richer and richer. And we just, you know, get left whatever, you know, little bits. And, and you, you heard, you know, our earlier guests, I think, uh, are a good example of the effect of this kind of, of, of uh, global, you know, you've got a French company 
you know, that has, frankly, a pretty uh, strong record. of. Uh, it's interesting. You might know more than I do, but I don't think the transdev gets away with this kind of stuff over in France. <laughs> uh, let's put it this way. The French government is serious about collecting its taxes. In my Thank opinions. you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, let me first say, Chris, I, you know, I was listening when the earlier guests were on and I got to just you know, express my admiration and solidarity with those folks with ATU strikers. Uh, you know, just an amazing, amazing group of people you just had on. Tremendous courage, commitment there. The 13 hour picket line. I mean, that is, that is, uh, that is for real. Uh, uh, and I just, I just loved listening to them talk about how they understood what they were doing and why. And it was just amazing stuff. Um, the, the, so, so, so here's the story, right? We have in in since you know Reagan and Thatcher, right? We've had a global economy that has has tax evasion built into its DNA, right? You've got you've got all these countries that pretend to be acting on their own that that uh, are tax havens, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Cayman Islands. The uh, you know, it turns out, you know, I'm, I'm a, I, I, I do some teaching at the University of London. You know, it turns out that a lot of these tax havens are actually British territories. It's actually, it's actually how the city of London functions, right? You set up these tax havens. You say, well, that's not us. Oh, and by the way, all the money is actually managed in London, and all those territories are actually part of the United Kingdom, governed by the United Kingdom, right? It's like. You know, it's like a kind of weird sort of razzle dazzle that that they do. It's the a United shell States, game. Come on, say call it. It's a shell game. The United States is equally a participant in these games, um, except we don't actually have direct control of the tax havens that we that our financial system uses. But it's gone way beyond the financial side. Right? Uh, countries have have competed. Countries have competed for work by um you know by cutting their taxes to i'm just moving uh, cutting their taxes to near nothing and then appealing to people particularly in the tech sector and the countries that do this are not like low like countries you think of as lowball countries the netherlands ireland they have been in the business of making it possible for the world's richest companies to pay no taxes to anybody now the thing that the thing that flows from this though this game of tax evasion is that to attract jobs, you cut taxes to nothing. If you're a very rich country, you can sort of get away with that because you can tax individuals. But if you're a poor country, you end up with no public services. And so leveling the, leveling the playing field on tax makes it possible for poor countries to actually govern themselves and to actually raise taxes and, and invest in their people and, ha and, and move forward. Right? If you think about it, think of, imagine what would have happened in the United States if we had no ability to build an education or healthcare system 150, 100, 100, 150 years ago. That's, that's the consequence of the global tax shell game. Now, when the, the global labor movement went into this fight, we wanted a minimum tax in the mid-20s, 25%. That's the real number you need. The United States government fought hard. Biden, President Biden, Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen, they fought hard for a high number but they got undercut and undercut by the countries that are most in the tax evasion game. And in the end, in international politics, it runs kind of by quasi consensus. And while, and they 
and and the with and with the United Kingdom being the, and Boris Johnson being the primary problem, the the thing got negotiated down to fifteen. But then we had to pass fifteen, right? We couldn't done run around saying you know we need the tax system and then we can't get it done here. So this deal on the Fight Inflation Act, this fifteen percent deal, absolutely critical for a functioning global uh, world, a functioning global system, critical for fighting climate change. It's, it's the most important fight move against climate change, in my opinion, since the whole thing started, is the possibility of passing both the investment side and the tax side. Uh, well, Damon, I appreciate that. And um, we don't have a ton of time left, but I'm, uh, I think our audience would be interested a little bit on um, the funding for climate change type programs and how that creates jobs uh, in this bill. And uh, I know we've talked about the financial side a lot. Hey, by the way, 15%, like you said, is better than zero, better than five or 10%. So we're getting there. It's kind of like $15 an hour for uh, uh, wages, right? It really should be 20, 25, but 15 is better than uh, poverty wages. But anyway, back to my question, uh, climate change, what, what kind of, what kind of highlights that people can raise a fist for? Well, the key thing is the investments. There is $350 billion in investments in, in, in decarbonizing our economy in this bill, tied with labor standards, tied into it, right? Th those investments are essential if the United States is to meet its targets in the Paris Climate Agreement. Right. And if we don't meet our targets, nobody else is going to meet theirs. Right. That's the that's the nature of this. So this bill. So this bill, does a it means the United States has a chance of meeting our Paris targets. If we don't meet our Paris targets, we're uh, we and the Chinese and the Europeans, we're the bulk of the emitters. If we don't meet our Paris targets, we're going to blow through any kind of warming number that we can manage. So. We just kept our chance of fighting, of keeping climate change moving. That's bound up in this bill. These companies that are trying to kill this bill, they're trying to push the world into climate catastrophe because this bill is essential at, at preserving whatever chance we have of keeping like this all within a manageable. And, and boy, after this summer, people don't understand what this is about, right? So A, that's A. But B, hidden in this, the tax thing, for governments to, we're not going to fight climate change any other way than through strong public policy, through government action, not just in the U.S., but around the world. In order for that to happen, governments have to have money. The, the, the tax provisions here make possible putting a, a check on corporate tax evasion globally. That means governments will have the resources to do the investments to fight climate change. You, you, you can't imagine a more important thing in terms of climate than this bill. Hey, Damon, before we let you go, uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Andy Levin, uh, whose birthday I saw is coming up next week, actually, on, on the 10th. Uh, but he's a, he's a former colleague of yours. He's a longtime union organizer. Last time I saw him, he was getting arrested in front of the Senate office building for the cafeteria workers. He and a colleague, got, uh, uh, they got redistricted into having to run against each other, and he lost his primary on Tuesday. You've known Andy a long time. You're close friends with him. I just wanted to get your thoughts. Well, you know, look, um, uh, and I, I just say this. I, I'm speaking personally throughout here. Of course, right? of not, course. I'm a spokesperson for anybody. Um, Andy, I, I've known, Andy and I were in law school together, and, and uh, 
I, I've known uh, connected in different ways to his family going back even further. You know, Andy is a, a, a champion of working people. A a Andy uh, helped run the AFL-CIO's organizing institute. He's he um, when he was in law school, he was on picket lines all the time. I mean, Andy has walked the walk his whole life, uh, and and he definitely did so in Congress and has is doing so today. He's still in Congress after all. Uh, you know, no, there was no more stalwart. Uh, supporter of working people at the, you know, with the Amazon workers in Alabama, uh, you know, on picket lines uh, with or with people trying to organize. I mean, Andy is uh, Andy is a, a, a you know a, a, a workers' hero who got elected to Congress, not not a congressman who decided to show up to support workers. Um, <laughs> and, and and Andy, um, and I got to say something else about Andy, and this is really personal. You know, Andy was targeted by a, a right-wing uh, organization uh, called APAC, um, uh, which spent a lot of money to defeat Andy. And uh, uh, Andy is uh, APAC is something called the American Israel Public Affairs Committee. And you would think a name, an organization with a name like that, would be supportive of having Jews in Congress. I mean, Andy is Jewish, like me. Right? Uh, you'd think they'd be supportive of having Jews in Congress. But they targeted Andy because he lifted up Jewish values in Congress. They just, they just didn't know about the – they just seemed to be ignorant about the part of Jewish values that says, as um, one of my great – one of my favorite Jewish authors wrote, that to be Jewish is to stand up for the weak. They, they hadn't read their prophets, right? And they, they – what Andy had said was – as a Jew, as a leader in my Andy, Andy was president of his synagogue. Andy said, as a Jew, as a leader in my synagogue, as an heir to the prophetic tradition, there has to be justice for Palestinians. And these guys, these people went after him, even though he was, as I said, and he Andy is and was uh, a, a practicing religious Jew. Right? They 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 made real clear, and I, I just I can't. I can't pull pull my punches here. They made real clear that you know there is a there is a far right tradition in Jewish politics as well as a left wing one. And APAC made real clear that they're just about that. They're just about what they call revisionist Zionism, right? Which is again, it's anti democratic. It's anti democratic authoritarian tradition inside what is largely a progressive tradition in Jewish politics. That's who those people are. Right, Andy. Andy is the guy who carries Jewish values in Congress. A Andy endorsed his primary opponent yesterday morning. Right, a a a Andy did the right thing. Right, and 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 uh, I, I suspect that you know the labor movement's going to be behind the, the Democratic nominee in that district. And uh, I, I just think we need to make clear that doesn't change the fact that really some seriously right wing folks targeted Andy, and and that's that's a real problem. We'll leave it there. Damon Silvers, wonderful to see you. Thanks so much for uh, bringing us truth and light, as always, brother. All right. See you guys. That'll do it for this week's edition of Your Rights at Work. We've got a little music for Andy to go out on. We will see you all next week. Thanks so much for listening to Your Rights at Work. Everybody take care. Stay cool. There's power in the factory, power in the line, power in the hand of the worker. Together we don't stand